everybody. All right, do me a favor and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 20. As we uh, go through our little journey in Matthew here, we find ourselves in chapter 20 dealing with a really interesting section of Scripture known as the parable of the vineyard workers. It's interesting in the days that we live in with the amount of conversation that goes on about fairness and equity and I deserve this and I deserve that and I should have a big house and a car, not because I've earned it, but because I want it. You know, uh, jealousy about somebody else's blessing, about somebody else's answer to prayer. Why didn't, you know, why did they, why did that happen with them and not with me? You know, I mean, does God, doesn't God understand how much I uh, uh, contribute? You know, obviously God underappreciates me. You know, it's that kind of that, that viewpoint. And we come across this section in Matthew 20 where Jesus kind of hits that square on the head. And I titled today's message, um, Thank God Grace is Not Fair. <laughs> you know, um, fairness is an interesting thing when you think about it in our world versus thinking about it in God's world. And at some point in time, you've got to ask yourself a really simple question. Do I want what's coming to me? Think about that just for a quick second. If God was fair across the board, do you really want what's coming to you? Um, thank God grace is not fair. But there's a little bit more to it. We need to understand what Jesus is talking about here. Now, Jesus often talked in parables, um, not, just, not because he was just trying to be overly difficult, but because parables illustrates, illustrate truth in practical ways, in, in application. And there's there's elements where you can look at something that might be true, but until you learn how that truth is applied, then you don't really know what you, it becomes too open. Then you get to apply it in whatever way you want. That's not how this works. Typically, a parable in, your, in the scriptures has one truth in it that it's trying to get through. It may have a number of applications, but it's how you apply that one truth that matters. I'm always leery about someone who talks about the special knowledge they received from God. There's what everybody else reads in the Bible, and then there's what God reveals to the select few. Good for you. I've examined multiple Bibles, some centuries old, and I've noticed a similarity between all of the Bibles that I've ever read. The space between the lines is empty. There's nothing there. There's no hidden meanings. There's no secret knowledge. There's just what God, through the Holy Spirit, prompted his servants to write down so that all people in all time would have it. And that's the thing we're after when we start examining Scripture. When people tell me that they've moved beyond God's Word, (laughs) what little hair I have stands up. (laughs) And then I get an eighth of an inch taller. So our goal today is to find that one truth that that we're looking at in here. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. So let's take a look at this. Starting off, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again the sixth hour and the ninth hour, 
he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this uh, uh, give to this last worker as I gave you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So right off the start, we see this division between two people. You have the master. The master is the one in charge. Now, this, is, this term master is not slave owner. It's not what this... This term was basically, if you think of boss or owner or chairperson or CEO, that's essentially what this is talking about. They were the one who owns everything. They have all the control. They have all the say. They're the last one to give an answer because their answer is the one that goes. They're the ones with all the money, all the power, and more importantly, everything being done is being done for him at his request and at his expense. That's the master. This man not only owns the vineyard, he typically owns the tools, the barns, the animals, and he's the one writing the checks for the, one in the ones in the field. And in the morning, what would happen, this was a normal thing during this, during this particular time, an owner would go into the marketplace and look for people who were just day laborers. You might find a full-time employee there, but typically you were just looking for day laborers, and this was happening because people needed extra help during seed time and harvest. That was typically what was going on. If you had a lot of work to do and you didn't have enough hands on regular staff, you'd go and you'd get some more hands. So the master would go to the marketplace, and a denarius was one day's wage. It was enough to feed basically a family of four or five for a day. So people who didn't have regular work would regularly go to the marketplace to try to find extra work. We do, the, we do the same thing in farms today. There's people who are always on your payroll, and then when it's really time to get going, you bring on extra people. This is normal. But the normal day's work time was sunup to sundown, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and the reason for that is in, the Jewish, uh, in, in Jewish society, anything after sundown was the next day. Because remember, the day did not start at midnight. Our day starts at midnight. Our calendar rolls over at midnight. Their next day started at sundown. That's why when you look at the Gospels, Jesus needed to be buried after his crucifixion before sundown. Because after that, it was the Sabbath, and you weren't allowed to do any work. So if someone hired someone throughout the day, and they started in the morning, they worked through sundown, and then into a few hours at night, they had to pay them again. Another denarius for whatever time was after that, because that was another day. So, and, so you have the master, and then you have the second group, you have the ones being hired. These men typically came 
with the shirts on their back. That was it. When you went to the marketplace, you didn't actually know what you were going to be hired for for that day. You might be planting seed. You may be bringing in a harvest. You might be, you might be painting a room. You might be unclogging a toilet. You might be changing light. It doesn't make any difference. You were hired for the day. Whatever the need was, that's what you were hired for. They typically didn't have any tools. They didn't have any transportation. They usually didn't even come with food or water. It was expected of the person hiring them that there would be food and there would be water for them throughout the day. That was also your job. So you're not only paying them, you're taking care of them for the day. This was normal part of society. And everybody hearing this parable could relate to this. Everyone had either been hired this way, or they knew someone who had been hired that way, or they have hired people this way. It was a normal practice. So very easily relatable to everyone listening. The weird part was that the master would go back into the marketplace over and over and over again throughout the day. Past the fifth hour of the day, no one wanted, you wouldn't go to the marketplace to get anyone because everything was already going. Past the fifth hour of the day, which is around 11 o'clock, you typically didn't do much when it came to hiring. This guy kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. His goal was to get as many people into the vineyard as possible. He even sends people into the vineyard in the last hour of the day. Who, who, who would do that? Come on, there have been people, you know, sweating like pigs and, you know, and in the scorching heat, taking care of the work, and it's nice and it's the cooler part of the day, but go ahead, go into, the, go into my vineyard and make yourself feel useful for the day, for the last hour. When the end of the day came, those who had started the day from the beginning made an assumption because the master paid them in reverse. See, normally, just like today, how many of us have ever worked hourly jobs? You get paid a certain amount of dollars per hour, and if you want a full day's wage, guess what you have to do? Those of you who are still young, listen to this carefully. You put in a full day's work. That does not mean that when your job starts at 8, you show up at 8.05, because it's okay, the boss doesn't care, and then you spend the next half an hour getting ready. Then you spend the next eight hours trying to figure out how to get out of your work. Okay? We all know people like this. If you wanted a full day's wage, you put in a full day's labor. This was important, because if you didn't, the next day when the master would come into the, into the marketplace to look for employees, he would know that you were not worth hiring and he would not bring you with him. He'd leave you there. I'll take, because it wasn't, hey, I'll take whoever's available. It was, I'll take you, 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 and you. You can stay right where you are. So how you worked was extremely important. You wanted a full day's work, you put in a full day's work. Or a full day's wage, you put in a full day's work. If you worked for a half a day, guess how much you got? Half. This was not rocket science. This was pretty simple. And so when the people who were there in the beginning, in the morning, saw the master handing out a full day's wage to the guys who barely even made it in time to say, I'm here, they immediately assumed, I'm getting more. I'm going to get more because of the amazing contribution that I have put in today. 
And that's the problem. That's where the lesson begins. Not the work, but the pay. And the key to actually understanding this parable is actually found in the verses above. This is a continuation of a conversation Jesus is already having. So if you go back up to uh, Matthew 19, starting in verse 28, it reads like this. It says, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, uh, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And listen to this last part. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And then he turns over and the kingdom of heaven is like a master who's of the house who went out early to the market to find laborers. It's, it's a continuation of this conversation. And whenever you see the phrase, and the kingdom of heaven is like, a really easy way to understand this is to swap that term out with the phrase, this is what it looks like when God is at work. And particularly when God is at work on earth. So when you see the kingdom of heaven is like, he's not talking about heaven later on after we leave this, after we leave this, this, this mortal life. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven as it is, as God is working within his kingdom, his people, his church on earth. When God is at work, this is what it looks like. Now we know, because we can read it, that we will receive something in heaven, something in heaven based on our efforts here on earth. There is some kind of reward waiting for you based on the treasure you store up in heaven. We're told multiple times that those who serve faithfully have something waiting for them that's based off of that service. Yeah. So when you think about this, as a Christian, coming to church should not be the highlight of your faith throughout the week. We come to church to gain what we need for the following week. This should not be the pinnacle of my religious experience for the next seven days. This is the community of faith coming together for the teaching and training of the body for the work of the ministry. What you gather here, you should take out to the rest of the world because that's the job. So we know that the efforts that we put in here do gain us something that's there. But there's another side to that coin, and that's what do we receive here? This is not a prosperity message, okay? I cannot stand prosperity preaching. There's a whole area of the church today that talks about the generosity of God, and that if we give to a certain degree, God will reward us to a certain degree. You can always tell someone who's faithful in the kingdom because they have riches and health and they're in good standing and really? What about Paul? I know what it means to have money and I also know what it's like to be naked and cold. Oh, and hungry. Try all three of those at the same time. It's not what this is teaching. So we've got to look at the other side of this. So there is something that is waiting for us when we leave this side of eternity and step into the next. 
There's, there's, there's a reward waiting. I don't know what that is. I don't know what it looks like. And I don't want to know right now. Okay? Because if I knew right now, bad things happen. I'll know later. One of the things that I'm really hoping for is that we're all the same height. <laughs> With my luck, I'm a cherubim. <laughs> Little round, you know, it's fine. So when we break down this parable, the, the spiritual application is actually very, very simple. The master obviously represents God. That should be pretty obvious, right? All that we do is for him. All that we do is at his request. And everything we do was paid for by him through the blood of his son. Right? Everything we do is for him at his request and at his expense. He came and he asked us to serve him. Going to work in the vineyard represents coming to Christ. Each of us comes willingly. The master approaches us. That's the gospel message. There's an offer made to us. We either accept that offer or we don't. If we do, the, the idea is, and this is so important for us to understand, if you accept the, 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 the offer, the idea is that you go into the vineyard and, four-letter word coming, work. How long do you work? Until time has ended. That means as long as you're alive. And here's the rough part. Some of us come to faith really young. Some of us come to faith right at the end. But here's the thing. In the same way that the laborers need the employer, we need a savior. The laborers don't have a way of taking care of their needs on their own. They need an employer. Gosh, I wish our country would figure this out. We as people don't have a way of taking care of our sin. We don't have a way of taking care of our iniquities. We do not have a way on our own to be right with God. We need a Savior. That Savior is Jesus. That's the offer. You want to come into my vineyard and work? Here's the deal. You say yes or you say no. It's your choice. I know if you're Calvinist, your ears are exploding, but it's your choice. The Bible makes that very clear. Now, the denarius represents the grace of God, not a day's wage. It represents the grace of God that we receive on this side of eternity. You receive the grace of God while you're here. You're not working towards it. You have received the grace of God. When you accept Christ, the old man is put to death. A new man is given, uh, given rise. You have accepted that grace of God. It doesn't matter how far off you were. You are made a new creature. And that grace of God is the same for everybody, regardless of what point in your life you received it. People who came to faith really young, when they get older, they're not more of a Christian than someone who just became, became a Christian. There's no levels. There's no hierarchy of believers. There's those, on this side of eternity, there's those who believe and those who don't. That's it. Some people who believe do a lot, know a lot, accomplish a lot. Some people who believe watch a lot, listen a lot, and uh, well, I'll just leave the rest up to you. 
None of us are more saved than the other. And our contributions to the work of the gospel are no more valuable if they've stretched out your whole life than they are if they were at the end of your life. This is so important for us to understand this. Now, the interesting thing that I found is that the master kept going to the marketplace throughout the day. This is a representation of the continued work of the gospel. The gospel never, ever, ever stops. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get bored. He's not worried that today everyone's going to be so good on earth, no one will come to him. That is not a concern of his. He's constantly looking throughout the world for those who want to come to faith. Here's the interesting thing. When the, when the master goes to the market to try to bring more people into the vineyard, there's an interesting parallel that happens there that the master has entrusted those who are already at work in the vineyard to do the job he's paying them for while he's trying to find more laborers. He trusts us to handle the labor that is placed before us. That's the church, folks. That's the work we're supposed to be doing. Now, you can't bring someone into the vineyard, but you can tell them about it. You can share with them your experience there. You can tell them how it's changed you, how it's helped you, how it's provided for you. And you can bring them to the master, and he can get them in. But we're supposed to be doing the work. We're never supposed to stop. We're never done. Older Christians, help me, uh, you know, just, just help me by understanding this. You never retire from doing the work of the gospel. That's right. And I hear a lot of things like this. You know, there's a lot of need out back, especially in the, the nursery and the kids' church. This is one of my favorite lines. But I've done my time. <laughs> really? Really? You're equating your grandchildren to prisoners. And somehow you're this you're the guard in the in the in the prison. Does that make I don't know, Amanda, are you the warden? I mean, what's what's going on? I mean, that's we should never look at it that way. You're never done. It's never over. You know, I've, I've retired. I think I'm just going to chill out. I just, I just want to be, uh, I just want to be a Christian. I want to be able to fish. I want to be able to just do whatever I want. I'm, I've, I, you know what? I've, 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 I've had enough. You ain't dead yet. What if the person who led you to the Lord had that mindset? Had that mindset. I just, don't feel like, I just don't feel like witnessing to anyone today. Man, I just, I just don't. I've had enough. We can't do that. We can't allow ourselves to do it. We can't allow others to do it. So the parallels between the Christian faith and this parable are pretty clear. That when it comes to bringing people into the faith, there is no fairness in God. We have got to understand that. God is not interested in grace being fair. 
He says, am I not able to do and be generous with what is mine? This belongs to me. I can give it to whom I want. He replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong by giving someone else the exact same thing that I gave you. It doesn't matter how long you were here. This is where it becomes the issue. Because while we're here on this earth, we receive the grace of God, we receive the forgiveness of God, we receive the newness of rebirth, and then we think as we are working throughout the day, we should get more than, someone that's, than somebody else. Do you know how long I've been in this church why was that person given that role? Why was this person allowed to do this? Do you understand the contribution that I bring here? If God only knew, if God only knew? Really? See, when God shows grace on this side of eternity, it has nothing to do with your contribution. Yeah. It, please, please hear this. In heaven, there is a reward that is based off of what you do here. That is plain in Scripture. But the blessing of God on this side is up to him. But pastor, it says that if I, if, if I give this, the, 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 the doors of heaven will be open and God will rain down a blessing on me. Yep, it sure does. Do we know what that blessing is? No. People think if I tithe, I'll get rich. Really? I haven't found that anywhere. It does say he'll bless you. Maybe he'll bless you by, you know, I don't know, maybe as you're, as you're speeding like an idiot down to Syracuse, maybe you don't get that ticket that you so righteously deserve. Maybe during the winter, during the harshest part of the storms, you make it home safe. Your wife make it, makes it home safe. Your kids make it home safe. Maybe you're blessed with the ability to make good decisions. Maybe you're blessed with the ability to resist the temptation that's coming at you. We don't know what that blessing is going to be. Because it's not up to us. God's grace on this side of eternity is entirely up to him. And if he decides to bless someone completely disproportionately to what you think you deserve, deal with it. What we do, the mistake we make, is that we try to hold God accountable for a promise he never made. Did, I hear, did, did you hear me correctly? We try to hold God accountable for a promise he never made, and we have a hard time so often finding joy in somebody else's blessing, especially one that we might have wanted. Think about this. Why does God just accept anybody? Why does God just let anybody who wants to become a Christian become a Christian? Does he not realize the type of people he's letting in his church? Oh, he does. He let you in. He let me in, but he probably didn't see me. 
people who come to faith really early in life, do they do more physical work for the sake of the gospel than someone who comes to faith closer to the time they leave this world? It's an obvious yes, right? Clearly a yes. So why is it that so many Christians struggle in their marriage and they struggle in their finances and they struggle in their career and then there's other people who are just shysters. They're just dirt bags and they go through life skating on, a, on, a, on a, just a field of dreams that everything goes well for them, that, that they, ha- they have all kinds of money, they have zero morals and they're just, you know, it's just ridiculous and right before they, they come to their death, they find Jesus and they get the same heaven that I do. Really? Ted Bundy killed 36 women and girls, became a Christian in prison. Now, let me ask you something. Did all of the people whose lives he ended, were they believers? The answer is an obvious no. So how is it that God could be willing to let someone into heaven who denied access to it by ending someone's life prematurely while he was still here. How is that fair? How is that fair? How can God claim to be good and let that happen? How is it that a teenager who, do, who rejects God and dies of a drug overdose without knowing God, the person who sold the kid the drugs, later comes to faith and is welcomed into heaven. How is that good? This is one of the reasons why so many people have a hard time with Christianity when they really understand grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. There is nothing you will ever do, accomplish, You can't give enough, you can't serve enough, you can't say enough to earn what God has for you. But here's the reality. The reason why God will welcome them is the same reason he would welcome me. It's the same reason he would welcome you. It's the same reason he would welcome your kids, your grandkids, your grandparents, whatever. Because grace does not have a price tag that we can pay, that has already been paid. When we understand grace, we not only understand the depth that God will go to to find the worst person on the planet, but also the depths that he would go to to find you. There is nothing that those people could have ever committed that would keep them from God, and that lets me know that there is nothing that I can ever do that can take me so far away from God that he would just write me off. I know what I'm worth, and I know what I deserve. Thank God, grace is not fair. I don't want fair. I want unbelievably misproportioned. I want grace that I I, I don't want to get what I deserve, and I don't want anybody else to get what they deserve either. Because the moment I want that for them, 
I'm asking God to judge me the same way. God, there's a line they did not, that they crossed. They are no longer eligible for the grace that you offer us. Really? What line have you crossed? Think about that just for a second. Just take a cursory look through your Bible and ask yourself, have you crossed any of these lines where God says the penalty is death? No, 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 I've never murdered anybody. Okay. Uh, You ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Well, I was young. I'm sorry, line crossed. You ever committed adultery? No, no. Uh, Jesus says if you think about it, you've done it. Think about it for how long? I mean, just casually think about it or like think about it. Uh, It just says think about it. So let's not try to find where the edge of the bed is. Let's just make sure we don't fall off, okay? You ever lied? You ever cheated? The Bible says we're supposed to obey the laws of man. How many of you drive your car over the speed limit? Let's get really detailed. I mean, if we're going to talk about lines, then let's talk about all of the lines. Because if God was fair, every single one of us would stand in front of judgment guilty. Every single one of us. But the fact that grace is not fair gives us the opportunity to stand before God guilty and still be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. From the worst of us to the best of us. From the kindest person you'll ever meet to the Ted Bundys of the world. Faith is faith. Grace is grace. Seeking forgiveness is seeking forgiveness. None are lost unless they choose to stay lost. Can't make someone get saved. But their behavior doesn't make them not be saved either. We can all come to faith if we just realize no one is so bad that they're unreachable. Because the master gives the same grace to everyone who comes. Everyone. Thank God that grace isn't fair. Let me pray for us. Because I'll just keep going. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. This is grace, by the way. This is unmerited grace. Me praying right now and not continuing to go. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you show us without reservation how far you will go to bring us into your kingdom. Father, we thank you that your grace is outside of our ability to earn it, that your favor is outside of our ability to earn it, that we simply rely on you for all that we have, all we will ever have. Help us to not take the grace that we have received for granted. And help us 
not be foolish enough to try to keep it from those that we think might not deserve it, because neither do we. Keep us humble. Keep our minds where it should be. And help us to serve you faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.